Now, time for the sermon of today. This beautiful Sabbath day by one of our elders, Matthew Steele, entitled Act of Hope. Thank you, Owen. I appreciate Owen song leading. It's not an easy job. Keeping these musicians in line, especially, it's, it's hard. <clears throat> so I don't know if you noticed, but at the end of the Bible study, uh, or toward the end, there was this, this statement that Curtis used. We were challenged to engage in an active wait. Active wait. And I think he talked about a little, a little bit of that at the end. You know, if you think about it, most of the waiting we do is passive, isn't it? I mean, the idea of activity and waiting doesn't seem to go well together. I remember one time uh, an uncle of mine was giving me a heads up because I was, I was going to work in a, uh, a mechanic shop in a garage. And, and uh, he said, well, be careful when they ask you to go do something. For example, he was told when, when he did this kind of work, um, he needed to go to the parts uh, store and ask for a long stand. So they said, okay, just stand right there. And then nobody talked to him for about 10 or 15 minutes. He went for a long stand. He stood right there. And he said it took him 15 minutes to figure out that they were pulling his leg. A long stand. Okay. They tried to do that to me a couple of times, and I came back with things that the guys at the part shop thought that they were asking for. So it didn't, it didn't really work very well. But this idea of, of waiting, right, it's just we, just we just stand in line and we wait. We sit at a doctor's office and we wait for hours. We wait, and we don't really do anything else. And maybe in today's world with our gadgets, we'll post on Twitter and Facebook and so on. So is that active waiting? Nah, I don't know. We're certainly not doing a lot of productive things while we're waiting. So most of our waiting is passive. And this is even more obvious when we're waiting for something big to happen, right? Something we're... We, we really can't start a little chore over here. If a friend is coming over to pick you up to take you somewhere, well, maybe you've got 10 minutes to vacuum the house while you wait. But on something big, something really important, something that will change your life, that waiting is really long, and it is passive. It's not active. A young person waiting to find out if they've been accepted to college. Nothing else to do. All the work has been done, the application put in, now you've got to wait. A groom on his wedding day, waiting at the church. Will she keep to the plan? Will she get some cold feet? Will she arrive? Waiting for this life-changing moment. A father waiting on the birth of his children. Now, I can't speak to this 
from anything other than the Father, because from the dad's point of view, there's not a lot for us to do. Right? The day has arrived, and we just got to wait. We can't secure the life of our, of our bride. We can't protect her and take the pain away. We cannot go through labor for her. And we certainly can't just make things happen quickly and, and the kids, in my case, the kids are here. It's a long wait. And in fact, I was remembering about that, waiting in this room, waiting. I'd, I'd put on everything that I needed to put on, all this surgical gowns and the, the funny-looking hat and the, the feet covering, and, and I was waiting for them to take Renee back to the OR, where they're going to perform a, cer- a cesarean section. There's nothing I could do. All I could do was hold her hand, which was very cold <laughs> and very tight on mine, and pray. That's all I could do. And I remember feeling helpless because this wasn't the ideal situation. Joseph was, is, was in distress. That's why we were doing what we were doing. He, he needed to come out or he was not going to survive. And Benjamin was going to have to be born early. He was doing fine. I think he's been grumpy at his brother ever since. There's nothing I could do. I had to wait. It was passive. <clears throat> no steps that I could take. I just had to hold her hand and pray. And of course, many of you guys were doing the same thing. Praying. Many of you from just down the hall. Because I remember coming out after the delivery and, oh, look, church is in the waiting room. And that was a tremendous gift to us. But it was all passive, wasn't it? We were all just waiting. Waiting for the birth of the children. And of course, the analogy of birth is so appropriate for us. It's so appropriate as we are counting down to Pentecost as well. But in this Christian life, Pentecost, as we know, was this critical moment. And it's often been described as what? The what of the church the birth of the church, right? It was the moment in which the church fully presented itself to the world in spirit and in power. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the harvest of the first fruits, showed the world that something new was happening. And it was, in a sense, a birth of something new, of spiritual body, of Christ being born from the dead as the living ecclesia, the living called out one. But it's interesting, though. It looks like a birth to us. And on this human plane, on this physical dimension, what happened on that day did look like a birth. But from God's perspective, from eternity's dimension, it was just a beginning. It was just a begetting. It was just conception. It was just the start of something. It was just the moment when the church, the body, became pregnant 
with something that was going to move forward. The Holy Spirit poured out fulfilling prophecy was a begetting of something, of new creatures in Christ. God's own children in the womb, in the womb of this protective mother that we call the church. The, the Apostle Paul was very much aware of this perspective when in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope. Because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. That shining new body that David talked about earlier. We eagerly wait for that. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is, not, that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what one sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And this is full, isn't it? This passage is full of this birthing imagery, of this labor and birth pains and giving birth to these new creatures. something interesting though if you notice this whole process of birth starts off with something that is uncomfortable right it's uncomfortable it's painful it starts off with pain the first to feel this pain is the woman the mother who's carrying in herself this new creature this new life but Paul does not look at that suffering, though. Interestingly enough, he doesn't look at it as a negative. In fact, it is a sign that things are progressing as they should. A pregnant mother in hospital or at home with a, with a midwife is probably not thinking about that. Oh, great. I'm in pain. Things are going well. But it is part of the process, isn't it? It is part of this birthing process. It's the signal that something has started, and guess what? It can't be stopped. The baby's coming. Now, there's hope in this. Yeah, there's fear in it. There's fear that this pain, uh, who wants pain? But there's hope in that, isn't there? Because of what lies at the end of that process. He says in verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. This earnest expectation, it's a hope. It's hoping for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Even the world, the creation that we are in that is providing this platform from, from which we can grow into that fullness and stature of Christ will be delivered. We've all been subjected to this futile existence with all of creation with us, subjected to the deteriorating world where everything is winding down. Everything is winding down. We tend not to think about that because it's kind of negative. It's not great. We don't get up in the morning and step outside and look at a beautiful sunny day and think, oh, the sun's going to go supernova one day. But it is. The materialistic processes that are, are flowing right now and providing life to this environment are winding down. And eventually, without any intervention, this physical world, this universe, will peter out. It'll grow cold. Everything will just come apart. But then we also see in society, don't we? I was reading just a news article this morning where this individual, he was a Christian, he's a Christian commentator, and he's talking about all the different threats to Christianity around the world. And then he comes back to the United States. And there is continuing, worsening threats to Christianity in the United States. Not just from removing from public life. We've seen that for a while. But mocking, humiliating, undermining, seeking to put out of work people that claim to be Christian. Undermining their ability to earn for their families and provide food for their children. Everything is winding down. It is no surprise to us. We look at the world, and every part of it we see this cascading and tropic process. It's all winding down. Politics, religion, morals, ethics, the environment, energy resources, food production, take your pick. It is all winding down. There is no increasing ineffectiveness in morality or truth. It is the reverse. So the whole creation, Paul said, is looking to be delivered from this bondage of corruption. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs, is what he said. If Paul could see creation groaning 2,000 years ago, what would he see now, 2,000 years on? Are the contractions getting closer together? Yeah, they are. The birthing process has got to be closer to the end than when Paul viewed the world. And with each passing year, we wonder, will the birth come soon? Will it be next year or the year after? When will it be? And he says, not only the world, but in verse 23, we also that have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. I think, David, you, you said it earlier. You know, I never thought about that when I was a younger man. But the older we get, the, the more we realize how 
things don't work as well as they once did. They don't, they don't tell you that when you're a teenager. They tell you that you're invulnerable and that you can fly. But as we age, we start to realize that's not the truth, that we start to wind down, that we are more prone to sickness and injury, and it takes us a little longer to get over whatever afflicts us. We age. And as we age, we get a different perspective, don't we? We get a different worldview, or at least we should. The body starts to ache a little. Suddenly, you hear groaning when you pick something up. Who's that groaning? But it's not just a matter of age. Because all of these things will, will happen to us whether we are in Christ or not whether we have the hope or not. But there's something else that's easily overlooked that I think is going on here. Paul says that we groan ourselves within ourselves waiting for the adoption. What does that mean? We groan ourselves within ourselves waiting for this adoption, waiting for this birth. We groan within ourselves. Well, you know, in the, in the first Bible study, we, we discussed Israel. And we discussed their lack of faith. And we, we, we saw how there's an imagery there of Israel, that first generation that came out of Egypt, that they are like our old self, that had no faith, that was sinful, and that rejected God. And that, that old self was crucified with Christ. And we were made new creatures in him. But, but still, we're, we've got that old self tapping us on the shoulder, complaining when we're a little thirsty, complaining that we haven't been given enough food, complaining that God has left us and gone up to some mountain. And it's very much an image of this Christian life, we're fe that fearful and unbelieving and that faithless, that hopeless old self. But in Christ Jesus, we are like that new generation. We're like that new creature born inside of this old shell, begotten in the wilderness, waiting to enter the kingdom of God. We're waiting to enter as those new creatures, waiting for that moment when we will be born into the kingdom of God. But until then, we are in the womb in this physical body. We are these new creatures inside old, hard, inflexible, inflexible bodies of sin and death. And here's something I never thought about before. Both of my boys suffered a little bit from uh, some muscle and, and nerve issues after they were born. And it was things that could be fixed, could be fixed with physical therapy. But the reason that they had this, and Joseph more so than, than Benjamin, was because they didn't get very big. They didn't get so large that they filled up the womb. They didn't get large enough to get squished and constricted and pressed upon. They fought each other, so they had a little bit of that going on. We had that live and ultrasound. But they didn't have that normal development process because they were taken out early. 
we generally do have that normal development process. And as these new creatures in Christ, we definitely do. We are pressed down, aren't we? We are constricted. We are pushed down by everything that's around us. In this womb that we're in, we feel the pressure. We feel the pain. You know, the, the mother experiences the pain when that child moves and lands on a nerve or a hip or pushes something that they had no right pushing on. But I wonder, does the baby feel those pressures too? That uncomfortableness, that constriction? Do they long to get out of this cramped space? Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says something that describes this condition very clearly. He's speaking of himself, but also of us. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. That describes it, doesn't it? That describes it. Even if we are not persecuted as Christians, everything about this life presses down on us at one time or another. We are in this womb, and this womb is getting too small for us. And it is pressing down on us. And if we're feeling pain, if we are feeling the struggle, if we are starting to recognize that this world is not the world we want to live in, if we are starting to see the things that are decaying around us, it's because we are growing and maturing in Christ. And that's a good thing. That's that good pain that comes as we get closer closer to that birth. That is that good pain. It is only when we have grown to a sufficient enough size that the wound starts to press down on us. If we feel this pressure, we feel this spiritual pain, battling addiction, battling sin, battling doubts and fears, and the loss that we experience in this world. When we experience those things, when we endure those things, and we still have hope in the midst of those things, then we are continuing to grow and mature as that new creature in Christ. So don't let us think that we're doing something wrong. It's so easy to fall into that and say, well, why is all this happening to me? Why did this tragedy happen to my loved one? Why did this happen? This is the world that we have been born into. It's happened because we are outgrowing this world and we are becoming fit for a different world. We are pushing out on every side, revealing all the remaining points of weakness and sin that we need to cast off. 
This process is showing the areas of our lives that we need Jesus to work on. That we need him to help us with. Turning back to Romans chapter 8 and verse 24, Paul says, for we are saved in this hope. This is the hope. This is the hope that we have in us. That we are the children of God. And that we are growing in the womb, waiting to be born. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope still hope for what one sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And that's, a, I think, another important thing that I got from the Bible study. We need to have an eagerness about our hope. This should be exciting. And I'm not talking about manufacturing some excitement. I'm not talking about artificially, oh yeah, I'm excited about it. It should be exciting when we consider that hope and when we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And it's not passive, is it? Perseverance. I kind of think that it might be passive, but Lots of times, perseverance is not passive. When we endure physical pain, but we have to still get up and go to work, we work through it. When we endure emotional pain, we persevere and we work through it, and we still get up and do the things that we need to do to take care of ourselves and our loved ones. I don't know if you're like me, but you know, from time to time, I get these moments normally a sleepless night. I, I just start to worry about everything that could possibly happen. Anybody ever have any of those? Yeah, human condition, right? Just lying in bed, everything's fine, and then, oh, well, have you thought about this? This could really ruin your world. How about this? No, let's think about this one instead. This is worse. You know, and I, I was wondering, I've been on DayQuil, I, I've had like a, a cold or something, and I was like, is this made worse by, you know, the stuff and the medication? Because where did this come from? And that happened last night. Popped into my head all these things, all these fears, and you're not able to sleep, are we? And I've had it where, well, okay, it's 4.30, I might as well get up, get some breakfast. Get ready for work. You know? Silly. It's ridiculous. But yet these are very real fears. They're not imagined things. Maybe our perspective is a little skewed with lack of sleep and, 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 and worry. And then I find myself in the only place that I can be that helps. In prayer. Perhaps not even prayers that make sense. Uh, Matt's having one of his nights again. We're going to need the translation matrix for this. And we have one. Because Paul says in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. The Spirit, this power that God has endowed us with, has given us at baptism, at the laying on of hands, that was poured out on the church. He says it helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself makes intercession. 
translation matrix and make sense of the <laughs> insensible, the illogical things that, that well up in us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Groans on our part. You know, we have these physical groanings, right, that just kind of come out from time to time. The Spirit groans for us, for us, on our behalf. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that a tremendous hope that we have? How would it be to have those sleepless nights and have those tormented, worrying times and not have this at our disposal. All we can do is pray and through the Spirit interceding for us according to the will of God. Within this hope we have is the promise of a very real Spirit of God helping us in our weakness. We have that spirit in each and every one of us. Within us, helping us in this womb, strengthening us, comforting us, making intercession for us. And we know that all things, he says, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many many family members. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, you better believe he will glorify. That's our hope. And he has already. We just don't see it yet. But he's already done it. It's done. Jesus said, it is finished. He has completed the work. Now we're just eagerly waiting with perseverance. And again, we just have this imagery of this firstborn and this birth process. The Father has predestined us to be born in the same manner as Christ Jesus was born. We will die, and we will rise again in that newness of life. but also with something else. Did Jesus go through this birthing process passively? When Jesus came as a man, and he started something, didn't he? He was about 30 years old. He started something. He started his work. He started his ministry. I suppose we could argue that Jesus could have just come down, been sacrificed at some point, raised from the dead, and maybe that should have been enough. Why did he have to do all the other things that he did? Well, it's not a passive hope that we have. It's an active hope that we have. He had to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In fact, he read that at the start of his ministry. He read out his own job description. Do you remember what that was? We find it in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up 
And as, his, as was custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes of those who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. His hope is our hope. He built it for us. He made this hope. It was not a passive hope. It was an active Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 13. He says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, holy for I am holy and if you call on the father who will without partiality judge according to each one's work conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your father but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and our hope is like that of Christ Jesus. He led the way. He showed us the way in which we will be born as these new creatures. That is our hope. And it, that salvation didn't come in the exchange of cheap trinkets and, and religious practice. It is only through the blood of the Lamb. It is only through Him that we have this hope. I want to close with one last scripture. Because this speaks to the, the nature of our, of our hope and the nature of the kind of active hope. You see here, I'm just skipping a little bit. Yes, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And there's a lot in this passage. And I just really encourage you to study it because there's very important things that we need 
to ensure that we have done so that we can do this. We need to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. We need to be prepared so that we can give an answer. An answer for what? An answer for the hope that we have. Where do those answers come from? In the book that we should study every day. And then having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile you, revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And when we suffer, when we are growing in Christ Jesus and we suffer, it is good. And the more pain we feel, the more pressure we feel, the more pressed down upon we feel, the closer we are to the birth of the children of God.